And it's a big good morning or good afternoon or good evening whenever you're listening to this podcast around Australia or, in fact, global, because that's what we do here at Step Outside Talk, all things interesting about fishing or just about anything when, you, of course, when you are stepping outside. Today I'm talking to our regular guest there, Peter Johnson. Good morning to you, Pete. How are you, mate? Yeah, good day, Bertie. How are you? Yeah, good, good morning, listeners. Hello, mate. Good to have you on board, buddy. It's been a bit of a turbulent couple of weeks uh, in Sydney, your home ground, your home turf there. A lot of rain, a lot of water pushing through the Hawkesbury, uh, the Warringamba Dam overflowing, spilling its guts across the top of the lid. But, uh, mate, obviously things are slowly starting to dry out. Yeah, they're starting to dry out. The bridges are open now. So um, the bridge at North Richmond over to Hawkesbury is uh, is open. Um, they've opened Windsor Bridge as well. So Blakey, our good friend, can get home. He'll, he'll actually get home today. Nice. Jeez, um, we've had some water. There's still acres and acres of water lying in the lowland mm, yeah. area. Um, it's, it's, it's been phenomenal. I, I remember I remember the 78 flood because Dad had to go up and check the boat, mm. um, and that was at Brooklyn. But um, 61 was the, the, the last one that was this level or bigger. Mate, it's a, it's a, and and look, things have come a long way since 1961, no doubt. Of course, uh, you know we've seen a lot more uh, systems put in, drainage systems, and all that sort of stuff there. So, you know, still to see the water up this high, obviously, it does have that natural flow, and that is down through the NAP and of course the uh, the Hawkesbury as well. So, any uh, new estates that have been put in, clearly, you know, the flood. Um, sort of irrigation areas and all that, you've really got to be careful of, of where you put new suburbs because these I'm, floods I'm really, don't happen often. Yeah, I'm really glad, glad you raised that because one of the points that has been a talking point, if you head along the Richmond Road from Blacktown out to Richmond, uh, you go through an area called Marsden Park and Berkshire Park. Now, those, those were big dairy farms in, in the day. And the last um, eight years so up to present day, they've really gone ahead with development. Now, that area used to have really good riparian zones along the edges of the South Creek and the catchment creeks that were all through there. And and so you used to have to take 10 inches of rain before the creek would burst its banks. Yeah, wow. But now they've they've housed it, Paul. They've put paved roads through, stormwater channels, um, retention basins. You're starting to find the creeks start breaking their banks around about three to four inches. So this all goes into the major tributary of South Creek, which runs into the Hawkesbury at Windsor. And um, so progress is good in one thing, but we now don't have these riparian zones, which are vital to the health of our rivers. And so we're getting deluged and more and more runoff goes into the Hawkesbury River, which, you know, like we're running acid sulfates and all that sort of stuff from the old farmlands. Mate, we do obviously see a lot of uh, different waterways, you know, taking different uh, tones in, in, in their way it flows, I'm trying to say here, is because what a lot of people don't understand is that as a flood water pushes out, and depending on Mother Nature, depending on the size of the tide that is running at that particular time of the year, generally we see these events occurring during a moon cycle, and that is generally on a full or, or new moon most likely on a full moon, particularly in the summer months. So we obviously get a tidal push then as well, where tides are, uh, can be king tides and can be uh, you know an extra foot or two even taller than normal. But when you can si- come inside that with the flood water as it pushes out and then that tide pushes in, that moon's gravitational pull, pulling that tide towards that flood water, there is a period of time when that flood water will break a bank. And that is when things like you're saying, can become quite devastating. Particularly, okay. you don't know exactly where that flood water is going to break. It could be further upstream, could be further downstream. 
Yeah. Well, as you speak, it's funny you say that. Today is the full moon. Mm. And uh, 8.50 a.m. is the peak of the full moon. Mm. And that coincided with the tide change around about uh, around about 8 o'clock. Mm. And, and, and so it's a 1.8-metre tide here in, in, in Sydney. Now, if you take the Hawkesbury River, for example, the tide at the mouth of the Hawkesbury, say, around... Um, Flint and Steel Point or Juno Point would be at 8.50 today, say, roughly. Yep. The tide at Wiseman's Ferry is going to be six hours later. Mm. But because of the amount of water that's coming out and then you've got a big running tide, you're not going to have any low tide situation. Yeah, there's no push. That's right. And, and Yeah, so there's no push and it backs up into the creeks, as you were saying. Yeah. And... Um, and fortunately, the, 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 the river's dropped quite, you know, five metres since it, it, at its peak and people are getting back to it and a lot of devastation and a hell of a lot of debris in the river, navigation marks and and are missing. And anybody that's navigating in these circumstances in the Hawkesbury or in the Manning River or the other, the Hastings Rivers that have all copped it over the last week and a half, they're, um, they're, those rivers are not going to be what they were before the flood. So you could have an unexpected sand place that didn't exist navigation markers get wiped out by trees coming down the river and so you've got to be careful when you're navigating rivers after flood conditions and not only that you go to places um like you, you'll, you'll go to port macquarie go to the entrance broken bay the plume of dirty water that runs out the sea is still carrying debris which could sink your boat PJ, let's talk about that because obviously dirty water pushing out, it doesn't shut everything. It shuts a lot of things down when it comes to fishing, but it does but man, also... It triggers, it triggers some other things it, it, too. Which is... Correct. Mate, give me some examples of fish in general or crustaceans that don't mind a good flush out. Uh, in a flood situation like this, first thing that comes to mind would be fishing for mulloway off a break wall in a river mouth. That first tide... That first running out tide that brings the dirty water to meet the clean water, hell's bells. Like, we used to live for those days. You'd, you'd, you'd ring up sick from work in anticipation <laughs> that the tide was going to be running out. You'd be down on the river mouth or down on the break wall, you know? And, yeah. and we're fishing with our seven-inch alvies, 80-pound nylon and, and, and 13-foot rods, and this is flood conditions. We got there 60, 70, 80-pound mulloway. Were you running lures or were you running baits? Yeah, well, funny you say that, probably... <laughs> showing me age again here, but lures that were made out of chair legs sort of things, <laughs> you know, and and um, the good old lead-headed red and white feather jig, that was another classic in flood water. Do you know when I spent a fair bit of time in Iluka, I took a sabbatical away from TV World and uh, and moved down there for a few years and, and did a lot of fishing and, and really, you know, found myself, but fishing off the headlands, using the, the red and white feathered uh, lead-head lure, just a single hook underneath it, and just cast it out into the wash, work a bommy, and the amount of dew we caught, you're right, it was 10 out of 10. But mm. also, the old wooden Nils Master. Yes. Mate, that lure there was a cruncher on Mulloway. It swam like a mullet, looked like a mullet, and uh, to the point that even a few of the local crew down there, because, you know, Oluka didn't have a lot of money, and, and a lot of people down there just make their own stuff out of whatever they could find, probably chair legs, like, like you were saying. But, mate, things that look pretty much like something you gave birth to in a toilet, but that would catch... <laughs> I've never ser- used a blind mullet before, Paul. That would seriously hard to hook up, PJ. Hard to hook up, but it I'll would- take your word for it, <laughs> mate. It was one of those things that if you threw that out into the water, 
and you dragged it back in, you, you caught a mile away. These things were not forgiving when they hooked up either. Mate, rod fishing is, is a, a good um, pastime done by many, but it's also a dangerous pastime done by many. In fact, rock fishing claims more lives than any other recreational sport in this country, uh, particularly in areas from central to southern uh, New South Wales. Why mm. is that so, Pete? Well, I cut my teeth on the rocks from about 14, and, and I grew up I grew up in an era with some really good rock fishing, Craig DeBrassic, Alex Bellissimo, you know Alex. Has he got a mattress company? <laughs> no, no, Alex doesn't, no. Okay. Well, we used to we used to fish the, the the flat rocks, but we also used to climb North Head, which is the entrance to Sydney Harbour. Now, if you've ever watched the Sydney to Harbour yacht race, you'd see the steep cliff in the north. We used to climb there three hundred foot down to go fishing because the rock fishing was was really good because the access was you know, limited. Um, and then when we had these rain events, that's where we'd be fishing for the first of the run outs. And uh, you know the spinning ledges there, we used to live bait for for kingfish there, and it wasn't uncommon to, to get small marlin hooked up there on your alvies and you know broken fingers as a result. <laughs> but the, so we we had the added the added risk of a fall, not uh, added to rock fishing as as well as the um the risk of being swept off. But I've got a, a simple analogy. Um, I don't subscribe to the theory of a rogue wave because that wave's travelled 10,000 kilometres across the ocean from whatever weather event. There's nothing rogue about it. It was always travelling. But what happens is you take your eyes off the sea, you don't pay attention to the conditions changing because every hour the tide's getting higher or the tide's getting lower, areas become risky or safer. And it's like crossing the road. If you look both ways, cross and monitor while you're crossing, you'll be okay. If you don't, um, heed the signs and want to walk across on your hands and knees with a blindfold, you're going to get bowled over by a bus. If you go to the rocks, you pay attention, you look at the sea. You don't look at your rod tip looking for a bait. You don't look at, at what your mates are doing. You watch the sea and you watch how the waves are coming up. Sorry, mate, I'm still, I'm still getting over that analogy of crossing a road on your hands and knees with a blindfold on. <laughs> but it's similar, isn't it? Like that's, But that's what you're doing when you go rock fishing and you're not looking at at Mother Nature because she'll knock you for a six. Mother Nature yeah. wants Mother Nature wants to kill you. Yeah. You want to know my close, yeah, My close calls are always when I'm Ludwig fishing. Do you know why? Because you're looking down at the float. Exactly right. So you've got to develop Clarence cross eyed lion eyes and have one eye on the horizon and one eye on your float. You've got to scan the horizon. It might sound odd, but that's where a lot of people come undone, float fishing, because your focus is then on the float. And you're looking in that 20 feet in front of you. You're not looking 50 yards out. And and there's areas that you get to know that, hey, I'm not going there, not in swell direction. Take um, Hill 60 down at Bass Point, down on the um, south coast here, where we tragically lost um, two weekends in a row. We lost uh, um, several people. Um, people travel from Sydney and go to these places an hour and a half up and down the coast and they don't have a plan B. And, you know, in a previous episode we had plan B for rock fishing. Plan B is go and find a sheltered corner of the beach mm. if the swell's too much or find a higher ledge. Anything that's, you know, going to be nasty on a rising tide, don't do it. Don't do it. And unfortunately, a lot of our deaths come from non-English speaking backgrounds where they may come from landlocked countries or they may come from countries that don't have the swell 
that we had. And and that's right. And it's not been a it's not a racial slur towards anybody. It's just it's that. No, common... it's more of an edu- it's more of an educational issue that we've got to get across. And that's correct too, because when we're talking about you mentioned a, a key element into this particular topic before an hour and a half north and south of Sydney. Now, when we talk southeast Queensland, Queensland where I am, and of course West Coast as well. Um, we're talking when we get a bulbous headland sticking out in the ocean. It, 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 it's a gradual bottom depth that comes up to that headland. So it starts obviously out on a shelf and then it gradually comes up to you know 30 feet of water, 20 feet of water, 10 feet of water. There's your rock starting to move in. So when the wave breaks, it's breaking out yonder. You're seeing the wave come in. You can pick up as to where that whitewash is pushing up on the rocks because you're looking down, you're seeing slime or you're seeing wet rocks and you're seeing dry rocks. The dry rocks is clearly where you're going to go. Whereas with you guys, when you have a cliff, is you have instant 40, 60, 80 feet of water at your feet. So these waves are not breaking out in the distance for you to gauge what this swell is doing. So where's that energy comes into the headland, clearly it's hitting a wall, it's hitting nothing, and it pushes the water up, whereas our water is rolling in, so we can gauge it differently. I think, would I be right in saying that, PJ, that that's, is, that's, the, that's the silent killer, is when Absolutely. that wave hits that ledge, and you've got nowhere to go because you've got a ledge and you've got a cliff face behind you, that water is just going to surge up, and when it hits the rock wall behind you, it then washes back out. It's all energy. And, of course, you go into the drink, and uh, and then things can the, the water bad. coming The water coming at you from the horizon yep. is going to wash you backwards, right? It's going to sit you on your backside. The water, the water then that sat you on your bum is going to hit the rock shelf behind you, and it wants to go back to the ocean. Yep. And if you've still got your legs, it can still take your legs out from under you if you're standing. That's right. That's right. Now that's a, that... you, just, you just have to excuse Monty barking in the background. Mate, what is Monty? Tell me about Monty. Who's Monty? Monty's my blue cattle dog. Blue, blue healer, eh? Blue healer. Mate, give him, uh, give him your, um, your car tie to chew on or maybe your, um, your brake cable or something because that's what blue healers love to eat. I had one of he's those actually, once. He's actually chewing on a deer leg at the moment. <laughs> one of yours, mate? Yeah, yeah, we got a deer last weekend, so I just... I broke the carcass up the other day. Uh, good on you, mate. Hey, so uh, so rock fishing, if you're if you're getting back out there, we're doing a bit of rock fishing, tell me some of the species that you target because you are targeting fish like Mulloway. Uh, you're also targeting pigfish. You're targeting tailor. You're targeting brim. I mean, there's a whole plethora of fish, luteric or blackfish. So well, it's, it's, a, it's a seasonal thing, Paul. Yeah. So the summer months is um, we're generally targeting our, our Mulloway. And with, with, with the Mulloway fishing, it's generally live bait. You're saying and, summer months? Yeah, for here, yeah, I'll, I'll target like my, 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 my January through to um, February, March. Off the rocks, I'll target my Mulloway. Um, we'll still have our um, Christmas runner Taylor, and there'll still be salmon running around. All right, um, we'll have our, our our kingfish, which is where we fish with um, live squid off the rocks under bobby corks. We'll also throw um, hard-bodied lures, bin garfish for our kingfish. The winter months is where it comes. It's it's brim blackfish, or oh, sorry, luderick. Um, drama or rock black, blackfish, aka pigs, and um, you know our snapper. When you're fishing summer, obviously you're talking about the water running off because that is the traditional wet season. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously, with the flood such as now, uh, but also we're talking uh, winter. So you've got one element there being a flood, and then if you go winter for us is when we get a lot of our mulloway uh, because we have the mullet run. The annual Correct. mullet running out of the rivers. April, they... May, yeah, April, May, we we, we, we can do that, mm. but um, in, in in Sydney we don't have the mullet that run out of the north coast rivers. Like sure, out of the Hawkesbury up on the central coast, the guys will do it. Um, we'll still get our mullet away 
um, around that April May when the uh, May when the first of the Wesleys come. But um, you 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 really have a limited window. They might go in one night from Sydney Harbour, where they might go over a week out of say the Hastings or the Brunswick or something like that. Right, and they're a fantastic bait to use off the rocks, mullet. I mean, right. it's a natural bait. It's the the food source uh, of what the fish are there for. Yeah, big slab mullet, or you know, even a barrel. Even just hold up is a great bait, yeah. But um, if you can go and get yourself some 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 live mullet around 10, 15 centimetres, six inches, mate, that yeah. that's going to put you in good stead. Yeah, for sure, mate. Um, back to the rock fishing now. You've got yourself some bait. You've found yourself a ledge. Uh, are we going to wear a life jacket? Well, I wear a wetsuit, Paul. Okay. Uh, um, wetsuit floats you. Yeah, because you've you've got close cell neoprene and it's a lot more buoyant. And and we've got a rule down here that. Net, the state government conveniently pushed it to the local council areas, the local government areas to, to manage. So it's up to the individual council area whether they enforce the life jacket rule or not. It all depends how, they, how their revenue is going for the year if they want to find you, I guess. Yeah. But um, we, we protested black and blue that there is no suitable life jacket for rock fishing that complies to the Australian standard. Mm-hmm. The Australian standard says a life jacket must be able to rotate the netter onto their back and, and keep their head upright mm-hmm. so they can breathe mm-hmm. within four seconds. Now, you think about it. You get washed off the rocks. You don't want to be sitting there prone no. in the surf impact zone. You want to be able to duck under a wave to swim away. Correct. These jackets don't. So I um, I just don't fish in those areas where the life jacket rules are. A three-millimetre a three uh, wetsuit, like full-length steamer, in winter times, an added bonus because you're getting wet. So I've, I've just got my three mil wetsuit. I've got my rock cleats on here because in Sydney we've got sandstone shelves and they're really slippy with weed. Up the north coast on granite, I wear a pair of good joggers, Dunlop volleys. The go. Yeah, and, volleys uh, are good because it's just a straight rubber sole. And they, and they grip really well on yeah. the on the granite and basalt rocks. So I've got my gear and then I've got my spray jacket on to cut out the wind chill factor in wintertime. But even in summer, I'll, I'll wear that um, wetsuit. Because my legs are often getting wet, and it'll cover cover my skin from barnacle cuts or something if I have to wash a fish up. And I remember, get down on I remember seeing a fella uh, at Iluka again who uh, got got taken across the cheese grater, and the cheese grater, everybody, is you got to you got to think about this. Is it's there barnacle. are yeah, there are spots where you are going to get. Well, I've, I've been washed in twice, um, and and one once was washed back, not a problem. The other one was washed in, but I, I got out. I had an escape plan. I knew where I was going to be. I knew where I was going to go. Where I was fishing was pretty dicey and dodgy, but she's got some good fish. But at the same time, when I went in, I knew, right, let the water take you out and then just come straight back into that hole because the sets were only periodically coming through. Um, so, you know, that was fine. But I remember one guy getting hit and uh, taken up along all the barnacles, those little chiming hats and the barnacles. And, mate, he came out and seriously, it was like grating a block of cheese across a cheese yep. grater. He looked horrendous, that fella. My goodness. And you've got you've got weeks of pain after that because those cuts all get infested with oh. broken shell and barnacle and oh. they, they weep. No, no, no uh. thanks. So the wetsuit's good insurance for that. Yeah, absolutely. But, and that's the thing is because if you wear it, you can't wear a cheese block. Okay, the cheese block uh, life jacket is just instantly cumbersome. Like it's just it's it just doesn't feel good on you uh, if you're rock fishing. And the other ones, like you said, if you do the self inflatable, so you just pull the pull the um, the strap and up they go. You don't want to be um, in the impact zone because you're going to get cl- um, completely dumped over onto the rocks continuously because you can't duck dive the wave. It is a really tough situation, and I guess it's a guessing game as to what to do because councils are saying you need the life jacket, and I'm all for life jackets in boats, 
hundred percent. Me too. I won't have a problem wearing uh, one in the boat. Zero. As you and I know, yep. you know, the first thing you do when we go across the bar is you put the life jacket, jacket on. on. Here's, Absolutely. Here's the emergency grab bag if we need it. Yep. Yep. The now whole, shut up. The whole now shut up and hang on. Yeah. The whole <laughs> the whole plan of uh, of of going fishing is all about safety. But uh, rock fishing, it's a, it's a real tough one because I get the I get the fours and I also totally get the againsts. But uh, mm. I think it's a situation of where you want to be. If you're in a in a zone that is super dangerous, super dangerous, then I think you've really got to work out a, that plan B or plan C as to yep. safety factor what you are going to do. And if it's if it's too big, just don't go. Don't go. Yeah. Don't go on a rising tide. Go on the drop tide. This is this isn't why me a bay, mate. It's not Eddie would go. No. Okay. No. We're talking. We're talking about the effects of twenty ton of water traveling at 50, 60 mile an hour. Yeah. Smacking you on the rock hard stone. Yep. That's right. You, you're not going to win. Yeah. Now, the, the biggest thing you can have, the the best thing you can ever have as a rock fisherman is good judgment of common sense. Well, that gets lack exactly, these days, PJ. Come on, mate. People just don't have this. Oh, I've got to go. Fi- they've got this. I've got to go fishing. I've just driven an hour and a half. I've worked hard all week. Yeah. I'm, 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 the I'm going to go fishing regardless, mate. No feed of fish is worth dying for your life. I've gone to the river. Me, I've seen the bar turned off. Come home, and I had to do that for a living. So you know, by me sitting there saying I'll live today, I'll go and attack the fish tomorrow, and I'll make a quid tomorrow. That's always my my first preference. Now I'm not fishing for a living, and I'm not fishing in competitions. I look at it and I go. No, I'll go home and I'll, I'll, I'll mow the lawns or go and have a game of golf or whatever. You've got to be in a state of mind to say, is it worth dying for? And people get so out of whack with their natural state and environment over the course of a day. I've seen people catch a fish from a rock and they go, oh, good. So they'll spend the whole session fishing off that rock. But three hours into that session, the tide's risen a foot and a half. So they're now, instead of wearing white water, are wearing green water. Yeah, and the green water is the risk because that's got all the force behind it. White water, you can just step over it. Yeah, firmly base it on one foot. Yeah, and, and so you know it's easy to talk with years of experience, and this is what we tried to do in the in in, in the eighties. We we try and say to the the, the, the people from um, different backgrounds, come and join our club and learn about it. Come and sit with us and talk, you know. But no, they for some reason they just want to go out there, and you'd see them of all things in waders. Yeah, you know, as soon as they got sat down, you know, that way to fill up with water. It's concrete boots for them, unfortunately. And we've witnessed a few people drown, and it's something that stays with you forever. Yeah, waders, waders are a, a, a good uh, thing to have when you're tailor fishing off the beach. Uh, but make sure when you do go uh, beach fishing with you know, a pair of waders, middle winter, they keep you warm, keep you dry, uh, is to put a raincoat over the top and uh, and then put a belt over it if you want to. Because the simple fact is, if you put a belt around, you've obviously got your tailor bag over your shoulder as well. Is that um, having the uh, the light the, the raincoat over the top? It eliminates any water going down the top, down the front. So if you do fall over, it's going to eliminate a lot of water. It'll still get a bit of water through your neck, but you're not going to get a lot of water filling up your waders. Mm, um, mm. But also at the same time, just don't go to an area where there's a steep drop off because if you go in, it's a it's a real hard ask to uh, to get the uh, your rain jacket off, your belt undone, and also then your waders off so you can get out. By that time, you've unfortunately taken a gulp of water, mate. Um, if you are rock fishing, um, say Central Coast and New South, the way as I wear, because I've got a stomach area these days from eating too many pies, as you like to say. <laughs> now I can't swim and support seventy kilos of water, so why would I wear it? 
Well, it's good though in during winter because they keep you they keep you warm. I'll I'll give you the drum. I love wearing waders off Fraser Island targeting uh, targeting yeah, Taylor. You're a Queenslander. It gets below twenty four degrees, and you're looking for a cardigan. Very close to that, PJ. Look, you know, the cardigan thing is is something that you would wear when you're making lures out of wooden legs. So in all there, PJ, if you're going fishing off the rocks, what are the key elements that you want to look for? What are the key elements you need to stay away from that you should okay. know about? Right. So what I'm looking for depends on the style of fishing I'm after and the type of fish I'm taking. If I'm looking for kingfish and I'm looking for mulloway for live baiting, I want a deeper ledge, okay? And also I want a bit of white water coming off the side of that ledge because the white water creates a bit of raft and a bait fish will hang under it. So straight away there's an attractant for this predatory fish. I'm, if I'm chasing large fish, I should be having a, um, an accomplice with me that can handle the gaff because, some, you know, you get a 50, 60 pound king or a 50, 60 pound mulloway, you can't really wash it out like you can with a, with, with, with a brim or, or, or a blackfish. So on some of the ledges you can, you're better off using a good gaff. So you want, you first of all, before I go fishing, I have a look at the area. And I time the sets. I look at the swells. I make sure there's no bad cross waves that could take me off my feet. And I just say, yep, this is okay. I make my way down onto the ledge. I'll sit there. I'll have my bucket of live bait or I might commence to spin up a few bonito for bait or whatever. But I've got an escape route. Like you mentioned earlier, you said, you know, you went in, but you knew where to hang out, wait till the set's dropped off and come in the lull and, and get back up. Mm. You, you want to know where that is. I start fishing. Um, I'm, I'm fishing the change of tide periods, um, so last hour to run in, first to run out, and then vice versa, first of the uh, last to run out, first to run in. Right. If it's a flood condition, I'm fishing that change of tide from a high to low. Every time, clean water is being met by outgoing dirty water. That's your area. Fish on that edge of the water if you can. You want to be able to have an accessible spot, you know, so you can reach it. You know, if you've got a two-piece or a single 14-foot rock gaff to be able to get your fish, that's fine. Technology, um, technology has come a long way too, PJ. Like, you know, we're talking, we're talking old school of fishing off the rocks, traditionally way, traditional way, is and that is having, um, you know, having the the, the the cane long gaff, having the, the 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 swimming pool so you can put your bait fish in to keep them alive. You remember those sorts of days, or using a rock pool. Um, but have but, they gone? Have, have they gone? Have they? No, that's still there. But then we start looking at the new way, of, uh, new way of fishing, and that is drone fishing. Drones you can then fish off the top of a cliff. You can still get your bait by dropping your lines down, and if your water is right at the bottom of the cliff and you're eighty feet up higher. You catch your bait fish, bring them up to the top, put them in a pool. Okay, get your drone to run the drone then. You can fish in three or four or five metres sea, it doesn't matter. You can then run your drone with your bait out 200 metres, drop it into the water. Alternatively, if it's winter, when we get our westerly winds, you could send a kite up to send your bait out two or 300 metres to target your marlin, to target your kingies, to target your tuna. You can do that without being at the bottom of a ledge. So well, really- I, remember in no- I remember in 1996, now this might amaze you, but in 1996, I was helium balloon and Spanish mackerel off Calbarry in Western Australia. And that's mate, and, and balloon fishing, and, and a lot of them use black garbage bags. And you're not putting these into the ocean. It's just a means of getting your, your, your lure back out. But you do bring that bag back in because it's on a tether. But obviously, that sort of stuff there, mate, that, I mean, that's a good way to fish. It's a great, mm. particularly with a kite. Kite fishing is sensational once you do it properly. The Kiwis have got it down pat. They've got it perfectly down the way that it should be, and that is, you know, running off the back of a ledge, getting that kite up super high with a tail down to the bottom there, generally with a big bat in the water to keep the uh, to keep the lure down or the bait down, and uh, mate, they're hooking onto decent fish. 
and running um, 50 and 80 wide Shimano Tiagras off the top of a cliff. Sensational. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll reminisce here. Sitting at, at um, Gates Gulch, which is south of the Murchison River at Calvary, I'm spinning with a 7-inch Alvi and um, a FSU 5120 blank with a three-foot extension. I'm fishing 50 pounds straight off the um, straight off the Alvi, and I'm spinning big garfish for um, for um, a huge Samson fish. Like I'm talking 25 kilo Samson off the rocks and, and Spanish. And it's, we we ballooned this ledge a week before and had good results. And then this little old fella comes jotting down the track, and I look up and I said, he looks kind of familiar. And it was Jack Alvey. Because Jack was over there I'm for the Australian right. Championships too, Jack and Frieda. Yep. And uh, he said, how are you going, Pete? And I said, it's a bit quiet. And just as I finished that sentence, bang, okay. I come up tight. And I said, don't muck about, there's a school here now. And, and and I think Jack was about five foot eight or something. He wasn't exactly blessed with height, not like you. Mm. And, um, yeah, we both had a double hookup on these big Samsons, which, you know, like mine went 18 kilos, his went about 19 and a half. And in the end, I, I helped him get his out, you know. And, and he said, I wonder what this place is like to go ballooning. And I said, we were here a week ago and it was amazing. We started talking about balloon fishing and as the bait skips across the surface, these mackerel oh. are getting airborne to take them and it's such yeah. a spectacular way to fish. You yeah. know? And, um, it's cool, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like that, that that's a really, really good good method of fishing. And out here now, look, to be honest, I'm, I'm not phased about drone fishing. You know, I, I catch my fish and, and all that sort of stuff. It's probably something I do when I get together with people like yourself or Al McGlashan and things like that. That's that's where the exposure would be. I'm getting a bit too old to adopt some of this technology, I think. But, um, you know, like if it means standing on a rock ledge, putting a live squid under a bobby cork three metres, four metres below the float, well, I'm, I'm happy to do that. It's just that you've got to lug a drone, you've got to lug this, you've got to lug that. You know, I just keep it simple. I go down with one rod. And real and spare tackle in my backpack and and I'm gone. So, mate, um, I I totally agree with you. And there there's a time and a place for everything, and that's all it, fishing in general. And as people are listening to this, you know, you're probably nodding your head, thinking, yeah, you're right. Then no matter where you are, whether you're barra fishing in the tropics or trumpeter fishing off uh, you know Tasmania or kingfish fishing off the ledges of New South Wales. It's one of those things that there is a time and a place for all styles of fishing, and that's the beautiful thing about fishing. And, PJ, it's always a beautiful thing to talk to you. We're going to wrap it up there, my friend, and I reckon uh, on our next chat that we sit down and have a talk about is the method of balloon fishing, kite fishing, and we might even just chuck in a bit of drone there just to talk about the setups on how to do those three methods of fishing because once you get it sorted out, it just adds to another element, another tier that you can do wherever you travel around the country. It's a lot of fun. PJ, thanks for your time this morning, mate. Yeah, anytime, Paul. You're most welcome. And everybody else, I'd like to thank you for sitting down and driving, whatever you're doing, listening to our Step Outside podcast. Paulie Burt this morning with PJ, Peter Johnson, Australian all-time angler. He's an ambassador to Alvi as well and many other things that he has under his belt. Great guy. Hey, uh, as we always say on this show, play it safe. May your rod bend often.